it was a maybe at the tail end of junior high or early on in my high school years that I began to notice that something was wrong with me. And the way it first showed up was I had a habit of waking up in places that were different than where I fell asleep. Uh, sometimes I would wake up in different clothes than I had fallen asleep in. And I began to realize that I was sleepwalking. And from that time until now, I have actually had a fairly serious sleepwalking problem. <laughs> and uh, mostly I laugh about it, but it does cause me some concern. I tend to just kind of lose control of myself once I drift off to sleep at night and I uh, become somebody else entirely many nights. And over the years, I have had a lot of misadventures uh, while I was sleeping. Like I remember one time when I was a teenager, in my dream I was looking for band-aids and I couldn't find any. And so I wandered around a horse ranch thinking maybe horses sometimes get cut. <laughs> uh, one time I destroyed a drop ceiling in my parents' house because I was dreaming that I was trapped in a dumpster. Uh, another time I went outside and yelled at my neighbor's house. One time I even went in to work as a police officer while completely asleep. I've tried climbing out of bedroom windows. Another time I was dreaming I was running through a tunnel and I fell across the end of my bed and I injured myself so badly that I couldn't talk for several days. And I did all of that while sleeping. In fact, I remember one time in college, uh, my roommate woke up horrified to find me ripping a light fixture out of the ceiling Hulk style. <laughs> and, uh, and I still struggle with sleepwalking. Uh, just many nights I fall asleep wondering if tonight is gonna, I'm going to do something crazy while I'm sleeping. And on too many nights to count, over 19 years of marriage, Sarah, who is luckily for me a light sleeper, has confronted me, or I think it really would be more accurate to say a version of me, who's not very nice or reasonable when he's sleepwalking. She's confronted me on so many nights just as I was sleepwalking my way out into trouble. And what Sarah has learned over all those years of sharing a bedroom with a sleepwalker is that the best thing to do when I'm sleepwalking is to simply turn on the light. I don't know if people who study sleepwalking would agree with that advice, but speaking anecdotally, it has at least worked for me. Uh, it certainly works better than trying to reason with me when I'm in that state. Uh, one minute, I'm stumbling around in a darkened room under the effect of a darkened mind, uh, doing things that don't make sense, uh, trying to find the way out of some problem that is purely a figment of my dreams. But then Sarah turns on the light, and even in my foggy, sleepwalking mind, I'm able to see and understand that I'm in my bedroom, not where I had imagined I was. And I don't actually have the problem that I was dreaming that I was having. So in light of my history with sleepwalking, the pattern of the passage I want us to read and study this morning together is interesting to me. Let me read it now. It's found in the book of John. And uh, we'll begin at verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 18 of the first chapter. So chapter 1, verses 4 through 18. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. It says this, speaking about Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, just to stop right there for just a second, last week we talked about how what, what God is working in us was a created thing. It's not something we brought into existence. And here John makes that statement very explicitly. It says, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It continues on in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And we'll stop right there. Uh, these are an absolute power-packed number of verses. There's so much in here that we could dwell upon and unpack and really enjoy together. Uh, but the thing that I really wanted to, that jumped out at me and that I felt led of the Lord to share with you this morning is just the way the idea of light and sight are interwoven throughout these verses. I doubt very much that John had sleepwalking in mind when he first wrote these words. But in the first eight sentences of the book of John, the word light occurs seven times. He talks about John the Baptist as someone who bears witness about the light. It describes Jesus as the true light, which gives light to everyone and which was coming into the world. Jesus is the life of men, which is the light of the world. So John the Baptist was not the light, but he saw people stumbling in the darkness, and he flicked the switch and proclaimed Jesus as the light. Essentially, John the Baptist's ministry was, wake up, I'm, this is the light. He turns on the switch and he exposes the works of darkness and calls people to repent, to stop stumbling around in the dark and walk as people of the light. And unlike John the Baptist who knew about the light, Jesus was the light personally. He didn't have the light. He didn't know about the light. He didn't point to the light. He was the light. That's his testimony about himself. And then after referencing light so many times, again seven times in the first eight uh, sentences of the book of John, after talking about light, in the second half of this passage, John makes reference to us being able to see something because of the light. He says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in the final verse there, verse 18, he makes it plain that in seeing Jesus, the invisible God has been made visible. He says no one has ever seen God. 
but Jesus has made him known. So when we put these two halves together, the repeated mention of the light in the first half and what we have been allowed to see by that light in the second half, it really does remind me of my experience of kind of coming to my senses out of a foggy darkness as a sleepwalker. It's almost as if when we were lost, we were stumbling around a darkened world under the effect of a darkened, hostile mind. And then, as it says in Ephesians 1.18, a verse we studied recently because it was part of one of Paul's prison prayers, it says there in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of our heart were enlightened. The Holy Spirit flicked the switch, and the truth of who Jesus is and his significance, the light of the world, flooded into the eyes of our heart. And then we began to see ourselves and the world all around as they actually are. We begin to realize we were living in a great deception. Our pursuits didn't make sense. The things we thought we were grappling with bore no reality to how they looked from God's perspective. And when turning on the lights, all of a sudden our world was turned upside down. We were transformed. We now looked on things with new eyes, new eyes that allowed us to see ourselves and those in our lives more accurately, look on difficulties and trials in a very different way. As C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. After mentioning light those seven times in the first eight sentences, John again goes on to describe how some were blinded to the light, whereas others were made to see by the light. Uh, Really, this reminds me of bugs. Uh, We've had a hot scorcher of a week here in northern Maine, and the bugs are back. (laughs) And uh, if we're not complaining about snow, we're complaining about black flies. There's always something to complain about in the weather. Um, But have you ever noticed how differently different kinds of bugs respond to light? We've all seen moths circling a porch light on a summer night. But we also know that cockroaches will scurry out of sight when a light is turned on. And people tend to respond the same way to the true light that came into the world. I don't mean to liken anyone to a cockroach. I think God loves all people, and I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying that the the responses are similar. Some are drawn to the light. But others go scurrying for cover when they're confronted by the light of the world. John 3.19 puts it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Another example, I've been reading right now through the book of 2 Corinthians in my personal devotions. And uh, just in my personal devotions this week as I was preparing for this message, I came upon 2 Corinthians 4, and in verse 4 and 6, it says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then in verse 6, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So there we see two very different responses to the light. Some are blinded by the light, 
and others are drawn to it and, and are allowed to see by it. And in verses 10 through 13 of our text for this morning, John describes these two different responses to the light of the world. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So there we see these two different responses. Some people don't see the light. They're blinded to it, and others don't. Others do. And again, this is a mysterious work of creation. And if, if today you have seen the light of the world and have seen the world by that light, uh, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And all we can say is, thank you. God, you have been merciful and gracious to me. And I want to be the cause of someone else's thanks by, like John the Baptist, pointing them to the light of the world. Now, the tail end of this passage uses the word seen twice, and both are descriptive of how Jesus, the light of the world, made the invisible God visible when he put on flesh and dwelt among us. In John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, Father full of grace and truth. And the second is the last verse, which I've already referenced, where it says that, uh, Jesus made known to us the God that nobody has ever seen. So we have seen his glory. This is the effect of the light coming on. The light has been turned on, and by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, we now see Jesus for who he is, his significance. All that we talked about last week when we talked about the gospel and what that means, the good news. We've seen his glory. Now, what does that mean exactly to say that we've seen his glory by Jesus who put on flesh? Well, that means that all of God's holiness and perfection, all of God's excellence and worth and beauty were made visible and put on full display in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, the invisible God became visible in all his fullness so that the naked eyes of men could behold him for who he is, his glory. This is what the author of Hebrews was communicating when he said in Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. To see Jesus correctly is to see and understand the heart of God. Jesus himself said in an exchange with his disciple Philip, in John 14, 8 through 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And the very same Spirit, again, that we're told in Ephesians 1, 18, who guided John in the writing of his gospel, and works in concert with those inspired words to open the eyes of our hearts, to see God's glory in the midst of the Bible's words about Jesus. You see, just because we were not there at the, uh, at the beginning, the dawning of the first century A.D., just because we were not there to see Jesus with our own eyes during the brief span of his earthly ministry does not mean that we missed out 
God can, and he does, open the eyes of our hearts, open the eyes of the hearts of all who have put their trust in Jesus, so that when we come to God's word, we can see Jesus too through the inspired writings of the Bible. Remember, the Bible is a living word. It's not like other books. And when we read it in concert with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are truly permitted to see Jesus with the eyes of our heart. Now, the idea of light and sight, as I've already said, are woven throughout our passage of Scripture for this morning. And the idea of light is powerfully symbolic in the Bible. It's used throughout Scripture in literally hundreds of verses to symbolize purity, truth, right knowledge, understanding, divine revelation, holiness, even the presence of God himself. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Darkness is the opposite of light, of course. It stands for life without Christ, stands for being alienated from God. As it says in John 1, 5, which we read last week, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Apart from Jesus, our sin has separated us from a God who lives in unapproachable light. Darkness is hostile to the light, and light cannot be mingled with darkness. In the Bible, darkness stands, the word darkness, the idea of darkness, stands for the ignorance of the truth. It stands for immorality and lawlessness. It's characterized by a lack of love for righteousness. Darkness speaks to us all at once of a hiding place from a righteous judge, and also a prison. In Scripture, darkness represents an inability to see truth, to be blind to it. Man's love for the darkness of sin deprives him of all spiritual vision. In Mark 8.18, it says, Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. In loving the darkness, the power of sight is lost. And sight can only be restored if the eyes of our understanding are opened by asking the light of the world into our hearts as Lord and Savior. So throughout Scripture, darkness symbolizes the opposite of light. False teaching, lies, wickedness, immorality, separation from the presence and favor of God. In 1 John 1, 6, it says, if we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In the parable of the wedding feast, in the parable of the unprofitable servant, the non-believer is described by Jesus as being thrown into the outer darkness. And Romans 13, 12 through 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 7, and other passages, these all describe wickedness as deeds done in the dark. In the, in the ancient days before the coming of Christ, God spoke through his prophets promising that a light would one day appear to his people. The light's coming into the world was prophesied in advance. In Isaiah 42, 6 through 7, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. And really, John the Baptist is the last of those in the line of those 
kind of great Old Testament prophets. He's the last one who came heralding the coming Messiah. He was not the light, but he pointed people to the light. Jesus is the promised light, the long-awaited coming into the world of the light of the world. Jesus himself declared the same. Unlike all those prophets who came before him saying there is a coming light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk in darkness, but will, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's found in John 8. And last week, we studied again those words from the first verses of John's gospel, which said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Today, Jesus' light shines in the church. It shines in State Road Advent Christian Church. It shines in the life of all of his followers. We are his light bearers. It's true that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he said of the church, you are the light of the world. Jesus, properly speaking, is the light. Christians are not truly the light, but rather we are light bearers. His light shines in us. You've probably all seen those really old, um, what do you, like hurricane lamps, those kerosene lanterns. Uh, a lantern, we all know this, only provides light if it is illuminated from within. And that's true for Christians too. We can only be the light of the world if we are set alight by the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is made to shine out from us. Jesus is the light, and Christians are like lanterns. We are his light bearers. His light shines in the things we do and the things we say, the way we live. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount again, you're the light of the world, which means that, and what he went on to say there is, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the light... Jesus makes it explicit here that the light which shines forth from our lives is good works. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, is what Jesus said. So light is the outwardly visible works that come from a Christian's life. Light is the outwardly visible works that just flow from us. When Jesus declares of the church, you're the light of the world, he's saying that you are the vessels I have chosen to carry my light in this dark world. And as we live for Jesus, walking in the light of Scripture is an honest reflection of him. We make the light of the world visible to those who remain in darkness. There are few people within the church today who wouldn't say that the world is growing darker and darker with each generation, and maybe even darker with each year that passes. Wickedness and immorality are on the rise among our own people. I fear that Americans are a people who have eaten, become full, and forgotten God. And in forgetting God, our nation is plunging headlong into darkness. But here's the thing about darkness, scientifically speaking. Darkness can't be measured. And it can't be measured because it isn't really a thing. It's not like somebody opens a box of darkness and it begins to spread. Darkness is understood scientifically as a void. It's really just the absence of light. 
Because it contains energy, light is measurable. But darkness is what happens when there is a reduction or a complete absence of light. So when we say that, spiritually speaking, America is dark and growing darker, I think it's important for us to see and understand that fundamentally what we are witnessing is not the increase of darkness, but the dimming of a light. Darkness cannot overtake light. In fact, the darker the room, the brighter the candle. Light overtakes darkness. It's never the other way around. So I want to close this message with this thought, with a spirit, with a charge to the church to turn up the light. These are dark days that we're living in. And that dark is not a force that is growing. It is the retreat of light. It's the dimming of a light. It's people who don't speak up. It's people who don't live their faith. It's churches that are ineffectual, where the spirit of the one who poured out his life as a drink offering is not much in evidence. There is not much of the risk-taking spirit of our ancestors in the faith. There is not much of a willingness to suffer discomfort, the disfavor of people. There is not much zealousness in sharing the good news of the gospel. There are people who have made their peace with sin in their lives. Our homes sometimes don't look markedly different than our neighbors who don't know Jesus. And so the charge, I think, when we come away from all this talk about light and seeing is not to be like those who Jesus warns about who hide their light under a basket, but we should set it on a stand so that it might provide light for all in the house. And that seeing our good, when we let our light shine, that they would see our good works and they would give glory to our Father who is in heaven. They would see Jesus. You see, just as Jesus made the Father visible to the eyes of men, the followers of Jesus make him visible by letting him shine forth from our lives. And when Jesus said after being resurrected, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, he is, saying, he is filling us with his light and saying, go shine. And so whatever your context is this week, State Road, I would just charge you, encourage you, to not hide your light under a basket, but to let it shine. In all your good works, let it be known that you're a follower of Jesus that it is Jesus who has motivated you to live as you are living, to say what you are saying. Let your love for all people be visible through good works. Be the light. Yep. Uh, State Road, I just love you guys so much and uh, just can't wait to see you guys again soon. Uh, this has been... Um, a great time for us here at State Road Advent Christian Church to spend some time around God's Word this morning. And I hope it's been a blessing and a help to you. And I, I want to close now by praying for you that this week that God, that the light of Jesus would shine in your life in a powerful, abundant way. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the good thing that you did when you called State Road Advent Christian Church into existence. And Father, we are scattered 
throughout the county today. And we're not gathering together in one place. But Father, I think what Satan has tried to scatter has just caused lots of little lights to pop up everywhere. Father, in kicking apart the bonfire, he has just sent embers scattering out into the brush. And Father, I pray that those embers would uh, set alight the world. God, I pray that revival would radiate out from this time. God, I pray that as the light of Jesus shines in our lives this week, as we live for him, as we uh, let our light shine before men, that they would see our good works and that you would do that mysterious thing by the Holy Spirit, that in the midst of our ordinary faithful efforts to follow you, to be a blessing, to make Jesus visible, that you would cause others to see not us but Jesus and that they would give glory to you, our Father in heaven. We don't ask, Lord, that you would cause us to be noticed, but that like John the Baptist, we are not the light. We just want to point people to the light. Help us, God, to make our Lord visible this week as we live for him and serve others with sacrificial love. We love you, God. We trust you and are grateful for this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. State Road, have a great week.